Well, welcome everyone to the Estates Made Simple podcast. My name is Jenna Carvello with Guardian Estate Company, and I'm here with my co-host Gordon Vanderleek of Vanderleek Law. How are you, Hello. Gordon, on this cold, chilly day? <laughs> it is a little <laughs> bit uh, cooler than what we've been experiencing, uh, but doing well and looking forward to today's topic. And as always, uh, delighted to do this uh, podcast and record the YouTube video with you and talk about all things estate administration. But today we're going to talk about trusts, right? Testamentary trust. And I guess before we get into that, uh, just a bit of a disclaimer at the front end that what we're going to be talking about, uh, certainly in this episode and all episodes, is of, of you know general information, of broad application, and how this affects your particular situation or your family would require independent or uh, and, and particular advice. So we encourage all those listeners who are thinking about these topics is to seek out the, the right professional to see how any of these issues affect you personally. And because the, the information we provide is not legal advice, but of, of general application. So with that caveat out of the uh, out of the way, I thought it was interesting, Jenna, we were talking about this before we hit the record button, um, how we have each dealt with trusts and 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 testamentary trusts. And of course, as a wills and estates lawyer, I spend my day drafting these things, right? And and putting together the words, typically in a will, that create a trust as part of the plan for the client saying how they want to hand money over to a beneficiary, right? So we'll talk about the, some of the circumstances where the trusts come in, but I often don't see the implementation of it. Although sometimes in an estate, I'm I'm reviewing somebody else's will, <laughs> maybe on an on, on you know as part of a state administration where you're advising the executor and having to struggle with well how do these words uh, impact some decision making in terms of the the actual implementation of the of the trust? Uh, but sorry, you're coming. You have in the past come at it from a different perspective, right? Absolutely. I, we, we, we take your words that you've written down on paper and we find creative solutions to to ensure that we're following the terms of, of the will or the testamentary trust while navigating the needs of the beneficiaries. So sometimes I know an example that you had shared earlier was if a beneficiary needs a little bit of money before a capital distribution is supposed to occur the following year or the following month, what do we do? Do we take that money that the beneficiary needs from the income the trust earns? Do we take it from capital? Is it a an advance of the distribution they're yet to receive? So there's lots of creative things you can do in practice as long as you're following the terms of, of the, the, the instrument. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about, well, what exactly is this trust thing that we're we're talking about? And I guess to begin with, the essentially the, the, the definition of a trust is that it's a relationship, right? It's a relationship between the person who controls the property for the benefit of the named beneficiary, right? So you're separating out legal ownership from beneficial ownership, right? So it would be in the case of a typical trust, you would find that in a will for the most part. And it would say, you know, if it's looking at parents leaving money to children, they would say, here's your inheritance, but we're not just going to give it to you outright. We're going to set it aside in trust. So what we're looking for to begin with um, is language within the legal document that actually creates the trust. And if you get into trust law, which we could go on and on at a very interesting topic, but we won't bore our listeners on all the <laughs> uh, details with regard to the law of trust, other than to say there's there's principles of having what they call three certainties, a certainty of intention, subject matter, and object. Again, I don't want to 
get into this being a, a legal uh, discussion as much as to uh, as to say there are actually certain requirements to create a valid trust. Put another way, if I'm giving a legal opinion to say, are the words on this paper, i.e. the will, does it actually create a valid trust? You kind of have to go through the test mm -hmm. to make sure, is it a valid trust? And one of the benefits of working with a, a lawyer um, who specializes in this area, if you're doing it from the planning perspective, is to make sure that the trust is drafted properly, that it actually is going to exist and, and carry out the stated intention. So just know that that it's there is some formality and there is obviously some care needed to make sure that we set up the trust properly so it's actually a valid trust. But assuming for today's uh, discussion that it is considered to be a valid trust, what are we looking for? Number one, you're gonna, there's di different roles and relationships. There's the, as I've mentioned, there's a trustee of the trust. So that's the person who controls the property of the trust for a beneficiary, the person who doesn't control it, but benefits from the property that's been set aside for them. So there could be one or more beneficiaries of the trust. And again, the legal document would spell out who is the, you know, who are the beneficiaries of the trust. Usually fairly typically it's one person, but there could be more than one person depending on how it's structured. And then we need to know specifically, is there certainty with regard to the property in the trust? Like what, what actually is in there? But that's, you know, if you're looking at the financial statements or the balance sheet for the trust that would say, oh, there's this much cash in it, or there's these investments, or it owns this property. But the trustees can do everything within a trust that, uh, you know, would otherwise be a legal transaction. So they can buy and sell, they can hold, they can lease, they can do all those things with regard to the property in the trust. So fundamentally, to recap, it's where you take property and you're not giving it to the person who you want to benefit, but giving it to somebody else for their benefit. So there's a there's a I guess a distinction between who controls it and who benefits from it, um, and and that's the trust relationship. And typically, what we're talking about is a testamentary trust because if we're looking at it from the role of the executor or as a result of an estate that's been established, we typically will look at the will and say, has a trust been established? Interestingly, it needs to be in the will. The trust isn't created automatically if you die without a will, right? It's not like you don't have those three certainties on an intestacy. So it needs to be part of a legal document. You need to create it ahead of time so that it comes into effect as a result of, of your death. But recognize that when you create this entity, the government of Canada in the Income Tax Act has a whole section to say, if there's a trust, here's all the tax rules relating to that trust. It's a whole complicated area, but just recognize that the trust has to file a tax return, like you and I have to file a tax return or a corporation has to file a tax return. Anyway, there's a level of complexity, but an important planning tool, and oftentimes you'll see it in an estate. And in particular, if you've agreed to be the executor and now you are functioning in that role, you definitely want to read the document, read the will to say, well, does this mean I'm also the trustee? Mm -hmm. of trusts that are created as a result of this will coming into effect. That is, somebody has passed away on that, right? So yeah, there, there could be a dual role. And in fact, if you look at the paragraph appointing executors, oftentimes it is in my precedent, it's called executors and trustees. Right. And usually the person who's the executor, not always, but oftentimes the person who's the executor is also nominated to be the trustee of this trust, which can be an ongoing obligation for a long period of time, right? If you have a trust that, you know, for a five-year-old that goes till age 30, well, that's a 25-year job description. 
Mm-hmm. Right, that you've just signed up for until that kid turns 30. And you have to manage this trust on an annual basis. And there's legal obligations. You got to file a tax return. You got to do all that stuff. So that's sort of the background of what a trust is. From your experience, Jenna, what would be some of the reasons why somebody would want this thing called a trust? Mm. Well, great question, Gord. Um, I want to preface this by saying that trusts, these trusts can be structured in a variety of different ways. They can be very unique and specific to the situation at hand. And so a parent who may wish to hold money and trust for their child can decide to disperse upon certain ages or for certain types of expenses. And so I, I really like the flexibility that testamentary trusts provide. And as a result, they are structured for a variety of different reasons. So in practice, I've seen many clients structure them for client for their family members that may be our spendthrifts. They uh, they don't have either the ability or the desire to manage their their inheritance themselves, and so they need a, a separate entity to help them through through navigating their inheritance. If a beneficiary suffers from a disability, maybe they can't receive the assets outright. It may may affect their uh, potential government benefits, which I know, Gord, you're you're really well aware, um, being that you specialize that in your practice. So I I think you know those are are two of the the main um, reasons. Also, if you have a minor beneficiary that's inheriting from your estate, they legally can't hold their own assets until age 18 anyways. And so why not put some structure around when they're receiving those assets, uh, how much they receive, maybe they have to go to university before they get an inheritance, different different types of conditions can be placed to to ensure that the, that the trustee is managing the way you would want it to be managed if you uh, if you were still alive, of course. I know this this one benefit is less of a benefit nowadays is the income splitting. Um, testamentary trusts a few years ago were taxed at the same marginal tax rates as an individual, but now they're they're taxed at the highest marginal tax rate. But that still allows us to distribute income to various beneficiaries under the trust and split the income amongst those beneficiaries. And so that the the income then is taxed at their marginal rates rather than the trust marginal rates. And of course, you have to be you have to consider the age of the beneficiaries um, to ensure that the income is not attributed back to the trust. But in if if all the conditions are met, I think it's a really good planning technique to be able to take, you know, $100,000 of income split it amongst five beneficiaries and and tax it at their own marginal rates, which can provide a lot of savings over the over the long run. The other exactly. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Well, on that point, I think that's an excellent point to say that if you just left the hundred thousand dollars in the trust, you know, that's going to be at the top marginal rate. You know, pay mm-hmm. forty eight thousand of of the of of tax on the hundred thousand. Whereas if you had each of the beneficiaries claiming that income, you know, twenty thousand each over five beneficiaries, a lot less tax, right? So so there there's some there's some great benefit uh, to that, which is why it's an effective planning tool, right? So there's I think, yeah, the tax advantages, but also the control, right? Where you're not quite ready to hand that money over. You need it controlled for a period of time. And a minor beneficiary is a good example of that, right? They they not only can't receive it, but you want the right person in control of it because if you don't, if you have a minor beneficiary, you pass away without a will and it goes to that person, well, the office of the public trustee is managing it until they're 18. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go, well, I don't want my kid to come into a bunch of money at age 18. That's not going to be a good, uh, you know, a good result. So oftentimes in the planning conversations with people, we're setting up trust because they go, well, we want them to get, 
they get the benefit of the money. You can pay for going to college. They just don't have it in the bank when right. they're living in a dorm. Uh, that may not be a good result, you know, in terms of making good decisions with regard to the money. Sorry, mm-hmm. I think I cut you off here. There was another point you were going to no, add. No, not at all. Um, so I, I I agree with all those points. And I, I think another, you know, another advantage of a testamentary trust is because you separate the beneficial and the legal ownership of the asset that's held in trust, you do sometimes get asset protection if you're concerned about creditors or marital breakdown. So I know lots of clients that I've worked with, you know, they ask me, how do I protect what I'm giving to my children in case they get go through a divorce? And I think a testamentary trust is one of the best uh, options because it does hold that asset separate than the beneficiary's own account and uh, and can offer some protection under special circumstances. So I think that's often a, a reason that you'd want to consider a testamentary trust and, and make your inheritance protected. Yeah, excellent point. And, and I've actually done that on a fairly regular basis, right? Where we've dropped in a situation where you go, well, the child is an adult. Yeah. It might even be financially responsible and able to receive that money as an outright gift, but it forces the segregation, right? That the, they they can't you can't commingle trust money with family property because it's in a separate account, right? And so that can be really helpful to preserve the exemption under the matrimonial legislation to say that's exempt property and 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 therefore doesn't have to be split in the event of a breakdown of the relationship. And sometimes that's the reason we're putting it in place. Right. The other place we see it, although it's it seems like it's it's coming up less often, but it does come up is is, for example, spousal trust. Mm-hmm. Even if you want to leave money to a spouse, you want to say, I want to set this aside, particularly if you're looking at at a blended family. Sometimes that's a planning tool. We'll use this thing called a testamentary trust, even in gifting between husband and wife, where the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the monies will be held in trust. Yeah. Um, to provide that protection so the spouse is protected, has provision for their financial needs over their lifetime, but then ultimately would go to the deceased person's children when that's when the other spouse passes away versus pursuant to their will. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I think that's a, a great reason. And and in that case too, you want to be mindful of who the trustee will be, because sometimes if the trustee is a child of the deceased and they're managing the asset on behalf of their stepmother, things could get a little bit hairy because, uh, you know, they might be intending to keep that trust as big as possible so that they receive a bigger inheritance when stepmother passes away. That's an interesting topic in and in, in of itself. So, yeah, be mindful of your I choosing. I think you raised uh, another podcast article uh, or <laughs> yes. podcast episode uh, in, the, in the course of this, right? Blended families and what are some planning options with with regard to that? But but those are the places you see the you see the trust. Maybe it's okay to maybe shift a little bit to talk about what are some issues associated with the administration of the trust. So if we're looking at as our podcast does uh, focus on estate administration issues. All right, now we have this trust. Now what? What do we do with that? Point number one there I wanted to make is that um, there are obligations and rules with regard to how you manage that property. First and foremost, if you're managing for some, uh, property for somebody else, and we've referred to this in other podcast episodes, you're in a fiduciary position, right? You are managing somebody else's money. This is not your money, right? If you're the trustee, it's not yours, it's somebody else's. It's the beneficiary, you're accountable to the beneficiary of the trust as to what you've done with it. 
So you have to make prudent decisions with regard to investment strategies. So you definitely need professional advice to say, let's not put it in anything too risky because you might end up being liable for losses occasioned by poor investment decisions. Um, again, if you're seeking professional advice, then presumably they're not even letting you get into those types of investments because they know what the what the legal standard is. But you have to take a look at what is the investment strategy in relation to what the terms of the trust are. It, I think it's materially different if you're managing a trust for a 22-year-old who gets their inheritance at age 30 versus managing a trust for a 22-year-old who has a long-term disability and this trust is around for the rest of their life and has to provide income for the rest of their life versus I got to cover off the next eight years, right? Mm -hmm. It's a material consideration in terms of what's an appropriate investment strategy and you can't stick your head in the sand on it. Like you got to deal with that stuff, right? You've got to make some decisions. And and again, there's liability associated with making the wrong decision, but that's where you, you, you know, if that's not your... It should never be, even if it was your area of expertise, you still need professional advice and want to protect yourself to make sure you're getting the proper advice with regard to, to all of that. And the way we structure these trusts is typically with a huge amount of discretion, right? So often, I mean, every now and then I'm drafting a trust that I would characterize as non-discretionary. It's very fixed. This is exactly what you have to do, but that's the exception, not the rule. The rule is generally, I don't know what the future holds and I want to draft a trust with lots and lots of opportunity for the trustee of the trust to make an appropriate decision in the moment as to what is in the best interest of the beneficiary. And so the exercise of that discretion becomes really important. Like when are you going to give the money and when are you not going to give the money, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got to figure out, you got to get to know the beneficiary, what their needs are, and then carefully consider requests that come in to make sure it's consistent with the overall intent and also uh, consistent with the term of the trust and appropriate given the, the terms of the trust, which may include how do you handle the ultimate beneficiaries or what we sometimes refer to as the remainderman beneficiaries, right? When the trust is at an end, it may go other places. That's right. probably part of the trust document that says, well, if the person passes away before the end of the trust, this is what happens to the remainder of the trust. So you have to be cognizant of there's other people who have a legal interest in the in the decision making for the trust. So you want to protect yourself to make sure you don't get sued by those people going, you made poor decisions, right? Hopefully the trust is drafted with lots of protection. So there's minimal risk associated with that, but it's something that you need some legal advice on with regard to, you know, how do you protect yourself if you're managing this testamentary trust? Well, and I think that brings up some best practices, um, specifically with providing regular reporting to beneficiaries. So yes. not only the income beneficiary who's receiving the, the income from the trust, but also the capital beneficiaries that may be receiving the assets of the trust down the road. Regular reporting can can be super beneficial in ensuring that you're protected. If there are questions the beneficiaries have, they can ask them up front rather than waiting, you know, five or 10 years at the end of the day to, to ask those questions, which can often create a, a larger issue than it needs to be. And, you know, the, the the other thing too is, is as you mentioned, Gord, is really getting to know the beneficiaries and coming up with a budget and a plan 
for the assets in the trust, because if a beneficiary has income needs of, let's say, 50000 a year, establishing a uh, investment mandate that generates 50000 a year is, is maybe a g- good solution. And also ensuring that the beneficiary is using the income the way that they're telling you that they're using it is, is important. So really just having a close relationship with the beneficiary and understanding their needs can go can go a very long way. And certainly there's been examples where I've been retained by the beneficiary to start writing nasty letters to the trustee because they're not communicating, mm-hmm. right? So so really developing a good communication strategy mitigates risk, litigation risk, right? Because what happens if you say, well, I'm entitled to this money, but I'm not getting any reports. I'm not, I have no idea what's going on. Well, in frustration, people are going to reach out to professionals to say, what, you know, help me solve this problem. So I guess the message would be you want to develop a good communication strategy. It almost seems like an obvious thing to say, right? You need to communicate with the beneficiaries, but I guess I'll, I'll put the angle on it. It it can, you know, can solve a lot of problems before they become big problems. And then people are hiring lawyers and it gets messy. A proper communication strategy would have meant we never get to that stage, right? Because right. people are satisfied, they have the information they need and that they're entitled to. Again, it's beyond maybe the scope of this podcast, but we have a new trustee act in Alberta and there's there's enhanced rights of beneficiaries to receive information with regard to the trust. So just be aware that the laws change from time to time with regard to these trusts and you definitely need to get legal advice to make sure you stay on the right side of, of the line in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I guess I would add to what you say as far as best practices, And as we said at the outset, the Income Tax Act has a whole section about the taxation of trusts, which means, uh, again, to to reiterate a a point we said earlier, is you have to file an annual return, right? So one of the best practices is to make sure that you are filing tax returns in an appropriate manner, or there could be penalties or interests for late filing or failure to pay taxes that you're accountable to the beneficiaries, right? So so that is something you definitely want to get some accounting advice on to make sure that you're handling all this in an appropriate manner. So it's it's a great tool. It's something that is used often, but it has a level of complexity uh, would be the message I'd want to give to say you need the professionals around you to make sure that it's handled appropriately because it's it's definitely not a do-it-yourself sort of project, right? Mm-hmm. Where you say, I can, I can do this all on my own. You need it. You need a you know, financial advisor, probably there's some legal matters that come up from time to time for which you need an opinion. You'll need an accountant to help prepare those financial statements of income and capital and make those calculations and then file, make sure you stay compliant with the filing requirements uh, with Canada Revenue Agency. It'd be the T3 return that that would have to be, that would have to be filed. So I guess as we're summing up here, Jenna, that, that I, I think Certainly from the planning side of things, uh, it's a very effective tool and we can be very creative on how we come up with the right trust structure to achieve the right objective. But recognize that if you are in charge of a trust, uh, because you were named as an executor and therefore also the trustee of the trust, that you want to make sure you get fully versed on all your responsibilities, get help and make sure you are developing good strategies in terms of your communications with the uh, with the beneficiaries, you know, to, to make sure you're, you're discharging your responsibilities uh, properly as you administer this trust. I think that's a good summary, Gord. And, uh, and I love the passion because this is oh. an important important yeah. element of, of estate planning and administration. So executors, um, as Gord says, get some advice and have some good people on, on your side. 
Now, I should also say, and we did talk about this earlier, but let me make this a, you know, another uh, maybe a, a parting comment would be the choice of who the trustee is can be extremely important. You want to pick the right people to be in charge of this. And, and, and I guess it would be remiss of me if I didn't remind our listeners that you are in the business of helping people choose like who could be the right executor, but also the right trustee and, and, and helping to negotiate with trust companies uh, because they're often used, particularly, I know in my practice, we do a lot of work of creating these lifetime trusts and you need somebody around to be able to do that for potentially decades into the future. So that's where a trust company plays an important role. And I think you've found that niche to be able to help people make a really good choice with regard to the selection of not only the executor, but also the trustee and and, mm-hmm. and how do trust companies serve in that role. That would be an important consideration. And if that's something you're thinking about, then, you know, certainly you can reach out to Jenna and, and, and get some assistance in making a good choice and negotiating that compensation agreement and getting the right, the right trust company in place to ensure that your loved one is is protected and well cared for, right? That that there's some important considerations there on the choice just for protection, for long-term stability and ensuring it's managed professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the choices would be to consider a trust company, especially for those longer-term trusts versus an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in every case, but it, it's particularly the longer the the more money involved and the longer the term of the trust, the the more the choice of the right person in charge or the right entity in charge of the trust becomes highly relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you very much for that comment, Gord. I, I completely agree. And I, I think one element of trust companies is that they're unbiased. And so they're going to look to the document and follow the document in consultation with the beneficiary. So that's ultimately what you want out of a trustee. And um, and yeah, I think th- I think that sums up uh, a good discussion, Gord. I, I hope our listeners enjoyed the chat and I encourage them to subscribe to further episodes on YouTube, uh, Apple and Spotify. And feel free to write to us or uh, or give us a call and give us some some ideas for topics that you're interested in. We'd, we're always happy to uh, to take new suggestions and look forward to seeing you again. Thank you.